Amen. So Psalm chapter 19, we're going to be beginning in verse number 9. Now, we, we've touched on this verse recently. We talked about the fear of the Lord. Let's read this verse as we get into it. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That's a long time. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. We keyed in on the fear of the Lord is clean. And what that does is it actually severs you from things that don't need to be in your life. The fear of the Lord will purify how you live more than having your pastor in your back pocket. You don't need somebody telling you, don't touch that. When you have the Holy Spirit guiding you and the fear of the Lord will clean you and sever you from those things that will defile you. And you know what? There's some things they may not even defile you, but what they may do is dull you. You ever tried to cut down a tree with a dull uh, chainsaw? You ever tried to machete a, 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 a branch with a dull machete? It don't work. It don't work. And why is that? It's because it's been worn and it hasn't been refined again. Amen? And sometimes as we go throughout our walk with the Lord, we need that coming back, that, that time where we get refreshed before the presence of the Lord, where we get renewed by his spirit, where we allow God to just do a new thing. And that's why Paul said, be filled with the spirit. And the verbiage means be ever being filled with the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And it's, it's not a suggestion. It's not... If you want to have a good walk, it's not a, hey, you know what? If you want to be an A-plus Christian, just be filled with the Spirit. Don't drink. That's not it. It's a command to all believers from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, from pastors to teachers to just, you know, I'm a casual, I'll come when I want to come, brother. That command is for all of us, but it's when we fear God that we'll act on it. You see, if we don't fear God, we won't act on that. If you don't fear God, you won't care what a minister tells you. You won't care what the Word of God tells you, and you won't care what the Holy Spirit ministers to you on. Without that fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the desire to not um, go outside of. The desire to not disappoint would be a good way to say it. If you've ever had someone that you highly esteemed in your life and you wanted to please them and everything that you did, you wanted to make it to where you didn't disappoint them, you made sure if they liked their coffee, you had it ready. Or if they liked this, you had it like that. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's a desire to not disappoint. And, and it's that fear of the Lord cleans or purifies. But notice here, the, the end of it, it says that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, that's where we're going to lead into the judgments of the Lord. That You know, whenever the Lord judges something, we talked about this, is, you know, God is not a respecter of persons. He tries things the way they should be tried. He doesn't withhold, listen to this, he doesn't withhold evidence so that he can judge you unjustly. Do you hear that? Aren't you glad of that? But he also doesn't stack the deck against you either. 
He doesn't throw extra things that you didn't do in your stack. It's a just deal. So when you go to the Lord, you have a, you, you have a clean slate. Amen? So the judgments of the Lord are, are righteous. They're true and righteous altogether. Now let's continue. We're, we're keying in on how God's righteous judgment is true. Keying in on that. And then David is going to internalize that and reflect on it for his own life. I want you to see this. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. True and righteous judgments, that is. Is more, more to be desired than gold. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. In keeping the judgments of the Lord, there's great reward. What is that? It's being obedient to God. That's, that, that's one of the ways that you abound, as we discussed in last week's Bible study is by being obedient to the Lord and abiding in the vine. And if, if, if you're not willing to, to walk out those things that God gives you to walk out, you're never going to reap the benefits of that relationship. You can't abide in the vine in a disobedient manner. Can I say it like that? You, you can't fold your arms and say, well, I'm not doing that, but I'm going to abide in the vine. I'm not going to forgive my brother because they owe me $20, but I'm going to abide in the vine in Jesus' name. It don't work like that. The Lord's not going to be mocked. You, 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 you can't, it, and, and God examines us in every way. Oh, we, we only think about the big things, you know. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done this. I haven't done, but the Lord looks at us with with pure eyes amen and some of us are like yes he does and some of us are like oh that's right yes he does he sees the motives he sees he sees the lies he sees the white lies he sees everything he judges us with pure eyes and so that kind of gets you back to that place where you're like wait a second i need to fear the lord i need to make sure i'm not disappointing him in any way that I, and it's not about perfection. It's not about perfection, but it, it is a desire for it. Don't let somebody tell you the desire for perfection is wrong. Because if, if you don't have that desire, you're, you're in a precarious position. You're either in a rut or you're backslidden. If you don't have a desire to live to the fullest, the life that God has for you, you see what I'm saying? He says that in keeping them, there is great war. How many of you have ever, ever been blessed by being obedient to God? Even when it costs you initially, God blesses you in the end. Oh, what was Daniel's great reward for praying? His great reward for praying was getting thrown in the den of lions. So if you look at your life the way that unsaved people look at your life, you would look at Daniel and say he did not get a great reward for being obedient to God. 
because naturally speaking, his life got worse. And if, if, if you want to sit on that side of the fence, you'll never see what God wants you to see. You have to look through the eyes of the Spirit and see, you know what? I'm honoring God. It may cost me everything, but I'm honoring God. And the Word of God says there is great reward for this. I will not allow this situation to defile me, to rob me of my joy. I will not allow it to contaminate my walk with God. And I'm going to honor God. And that's what Daniel did. And so many people throughout the word of God did. They did the right thing when nobody was looking except God. And it cost them. Ask, ask Joseph when you get to heaven, if you get there. Right? Ask Joseph. How many people were around whenever Potiphar's wife wanted him to commit sin with her? And he refused because he said he was not going to sin against God. That's integrity. And it cost him. From the outside, if a butler or somebody was watching a servant, a cupbearer, if they were watching this unfold, or if you go watch the, the DVD of the movie, you can watch it unfold. You would be, you'll look back at this situation and you'll go, he made a mistake. He should have just done what she asked. That way he didn't go to jail. From the natural perspective, that's the way it appears. But with God, there's always great reward for honoring God and obeying his judgments even though you may not see it naturally, you believe it spiritually. And Joseph, even when he was in prison, he had integrity, he had the spirit of God on his life, and God still used him, even in the dungeon, to interpret dreams. So you might say, well, naturally, I mean, look, his, he's in the gutter now, but God used him in the gutter. Would you, listen to this, would you be willing for God to put you in a gutter so that he could use you? Would you be willing to get dirt on your face, to get your reputation trashed? Would you be willing to have people mock you? Would you be willing to take the brunt of it, to be cast into that dungeon, into that gutter, for no fault of your own, but for the integrity of God's judgment? Would you be willing that God put you there? It's one of my favorite songs. It's called Wasteland. This guy said, God, send me to the wasteland. Send me where nobody else. Send me where none of your other servants will go. I'll go where nobody else will go. That's a dangerous prayer. Yes, it is. It's easy to sing, but when you think about it, are you willing, honestly, think about the kind of gutters in our generation I'm not talking about street gutters i'm talking about in life are you willing to lose it all so that god could use you at the bottom that's challenging i love the moravian church have you ever heard of the moravian church Oh, they're beautiful. Uh, they, they, they were a missionary movement. It's honestly, it's, it's what got John Wesley saved. He saw their dedication. 
When John Wesley saw the zeal of the Moravians, he got saved. He thought he was saved. But it wasn't until he was around real Christians that he got challenged in the spirit. Amen. And I, I kind of, you know, I, I can identify with that because I grew up in church and, and I always thought I was saved because I belonged to a godly home. So I just thought I was naturally saved, just like I was naturally a Texan. But it wasn't until the Lord intervened and I was able to go to a church where it was the spirit moved and I saw people weeping. I saw people my age on their face, on the floor, crying out to God. And I never seen that before. And I praise God to this day. It's, it was etched in my mind. It still is etched in my mind because that was the day reality hit my heart that they knew God and I didn't. But back to the, back to the issue, the Moravian church, they, were on the, they, they traveled by boats back then and John Wesley was on the boat too. He was going to preach and he saw the zeal of these people and, and it caused him to get saved. But the, the Moravian church, I was talking about, are you willing to go in a gutter if you would allow God to use you there? But listen to this. The Moravian church, they had two, two of their people. This is what really kind of put them on the map. Two of their young guys, they were charged in their church to tithe church members into the mission field. Don't think like our generation when you're talking about tithing. That was like, oh, where's my wallet? Hang on. You're talking about gross? You're talking about net? You're talking about that? No, we're not talking about that. They tithe missionaries into the mission field. For every 100 people in their church, they sent 10 to the mission field that year. And the average lifespan of a missionary was three years. So they were literally joining a church, sending their children to the mission field, knowing great likelihood they're not going to come back. And, 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 and they found out, they, they, uh, Count Zizendorf was, was helping them, and they found out about this island of slaves. And they wanted to go bring the gospel to this island of slaves because they didn't have the gospel there. And they wanted to bring the gospel to this island of slaves and the owner of the island said, the only way you're coming in is if you become a slave yourself. And they signed over their life to this slave master, willingly became slaves so that they could bring the gospel to the other slaves. They allowed themselves to go to the gutter to be used by God. Nobody ever heard them preach a message. Nobody ever heard them sing a song but their families watched them leave on a boat. And as they left on that boat, they shouted back to their family, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. And those words captivated that movement. And that's what I'm talking about. If you're willing to go to that gutter, you're willing to allow the Lord to use you so that he can receive the reward of his suffering. Because somewhere in some gutter is somebody that Christ died for. And if you're willing to be trashed or abused or neglected or sent to the prison house like Joseph or in the lion's den like Daniel or whatever, if you're willing 
God will use you. Now, I know everybody wants to be Joel Olstein. You want the $20,000 smile and the big church and all that. But are you willing to be like Joseph? He didn't know. He did not have a promise that if he allowed himself to go into that prison for denying Potiphar's wife, he never had a promise he was coming back. But you know what he had? You know what he esteemed greater? He had God with him. He had God with him. And when you honor God's judgment that way, the Bible says, great is your reward. That's your, that's your word right there. Great is your reward. Great is your reward. How powerful is that? So from the natural, and, and I'm saying that because from the natural perspective, a lot of times the most blessed look the most cursed. And the sad reality is sometimes the people that look the most blessed often are the most emptiest and the most tormented. And so what, what we see here is that how beautiful God's judgments are, how beautiful they are, how we're supposed to esteem them. Now, how do we know God's judgment? Well, the, the number one way that you're going to know anything about God is through his word. It's through his word and then being obedient to the spirit. When the spirit leads, you have to obey the spirit as the spirit lines up with what the word says. Anybody? Now, this, gets, this is really important. I want you to hear this. When somebody refuses to be examined by the word of God, there's a problem. Because it is examining ourselves against the word of God that keeps us in this clean and good judgment lane. When, when, when you, it doesn't matter if it's a pastor or a teacher or, you know, a family. If you say, hey, look, you know, the word of God says this and you said that, where, where do you get that from? If they begin to accuse you because of that, they're avoiding the examination of the word of God. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13 that we should examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. And when, when pastors, especially church leaders, especially our own lives, if we're not willing to undergo that, that examination by the Spirit of God, there's a major problem. It, it, there's a, a, a saying that some people have is, touch not God's anointed. Nothing could be further from the truth. That, that, that phrase, touch not God's anointed, actually describes physically, physically touching King Saul. That's why David refused to kill him when he could have. But holding someone accountable to the truth of God's word is not the same thing as taking a knife and killing them. Right. Only a false teacher would combine those two things. Only someone with something to hide would combine those two things. You can't question me. Touch not God's anointed. Hold up, brother. I don't have a knife in my hand. I'm not about to cut your throat. I'm just holding you. I'm holding your feet to what the word of God says. And, and then you have to desire that in your own life too. Amen. 
Because some, you know, sometimes we, we, well, you know, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to forgive my enemies, but they shouldn't have taken my parking spot. They get the flat tire that's coming to them. And then, they, and then we turn around and say, Lord, bless me, bless I don't know why the Lord's not blessing me. Guess I need to give more. Well, why are you going to cut somebody's tires in the parking lot because they took your spot and then think you're going to give 20 more dollars in the offering plate and get blessed? God's not a fool. He's not mocked. We're going to walk with God. We're going to walk with God completely and wholly, and we're going to see there's power. There's power there. That's where God will begin to, to operate in our lives when we're giving him not our perfection, but our whole hearts. He takes, he takes a willing vessel. He takes a surrendered heart, and he is able to take our weakness and show his perfect strength. That's what he told Paul. He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. But the weakness is a surrendered vessel. So no matter how, how weak it is, God can use it. And he will when we operate or abide in that vine. Amen. So it's, it's a powerful concept, understanding that there's great reward by God's judgment, there's warning, but in keeping them, there's great reward. Keeping them, that's what I'm talking about, keeping them. That's that obedience, abiding in the vine, walking with the Lord. When the Lord asks you to do something, we do it. We don't be like Zechariah and have to lose our tongue for a season. Amen? Okay. So, verse 12 he said, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. What does this mean? Who can understand his errors? You know, without the light of the word of God, you think you're perfect. Who can understand his errors? It is simply David, the way that he's saying, without God's clean, righteous, pure, truthful judgments, you have no way of judging yourself. It's like whenever I try to hang a picture on a wall, I don't care how many times I look at it, it's crooked. It's only when I bust out a level that I can get it straight. Now, you know, when I was younger, I could do it. But now, you know, I got... One, one of my glasses is longer than the other. It's, you know, my eyes are all whoppy-jawed. And I, I look at a picture, and I don't care. I can put my glasses on, off, tilt my head. I can't get it straight anymore. You know what I got to use? I got to bust out the truth, the plumb line, that level, so that I can get something straight that I know. Then I know whether I'm right or not. Well, that's what David is communicating here. Who can know his own errors is without the plumb line, without the truth of God's word in our life, without us walking with God in conjunction with God, without that in our life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lie to yourself. You're going to convince yourself you're right and everybody else is wrong. You're not going to have a leg to stand on except for pride. 
but you will do it. Why? The Bible tells us you'll do it. In Jeremiah chapter 17, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. It means your heart will tell you you're right when everybody else is wrong before you even consult God's word. Now, this is where it gets good because now that you know that, now that you know that, how many of you know there's, t there's portions of the Bible that we skip sometimes? Especially when we don't want to forgive that person for parking in our parking spot. And I might skip some portions of the Sermon on the Mount because I know Jesus said, if you're not willing to forgive others, your father won't forgive you. I'm not just going to study that one right now. I, I, I would rather study something else. Give me Psalm 23. You understand what I'm saying? What, what happens is David is saying, without these things, I cannot know whether I'm in error or not. Without the truth of God's word, I cannot tell my left hand from my right hand. I have to have it. Here's where the rubber meets the road, though. What happens when you get that gnawing inside and you know you should be forgiving, but you want to satisfy your mind, settle it, so what do you do? You skip those portions of the level. You skip that portion of the plumb line. You skip those things that you know will correct you. And that's what we're about to see. That's one of the most dangerous things that we can do because what we're doing is we're fooling ourselves. Fooling ourselves. Not fooling God, but fooling ourselves. So who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults these things that i wouldn't know are wrong without the word of god see naturally it doesn't make sense to forgive your enemies naturally it makes sense to forgive those that deserve it i only heard like hmm But God calls us to a higher standard to walk, love, and forgive people that don't deserve it. I, I've forgiven that guy 15 times. And he still does the same thing. How many times, Lord? 70 times 7, brother. Really? And, and it's that issue right there that, that we want to look at. That issue. Because, you know, in, in sports, there's, you know, people have um, talents. Like, whenever I played basketball, I couldn't dribble. I couldn't bring the ball up the court. But I could shoot a three-pointer, right? So that's all I could do. That's all I could do. I knew what I could do, and that's all I could do. But you know what is sad? Is God doesn't want you to be a one-hit wonder in your walk with God. God wants you to grow in every area, not just be a specialist in one area. God wants you to grow in every area. And the problem is, when we're used to being the three-point specialist, we only go to those passages that we know comfort us instead of going to those passages that challenge us. 
And what happens is we're not applying the whole counsel of the word of God to our lives. And you can't do that, especially when you know better. Especially when you know better. Now watch, watch this. This next verse, he said, keep me back. Now keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let's look at this for a second. What does it mean to be presumptuous? David said, keep me back from presumptuous sins. What does it mean to presume? If you presume something, it means that you're, you're taking an action without verification of truth. It's basically the definition. Webster's. To take or suppose something to be true without examining it, to have positive proof. Venturing to do something without permission. So when, when, let's apply that spiritually, when we know in our spirit man something's wrong, but we avoid that portion of Scripture, it doesn't mean that portion of Scripture is not true and that we won't be held accountable to it. A presumptuous sin in this aspect is when you know something to be true, but you avoid looking at it. In other words, look the other way so that you can do what you want to do. Looking the other way, not be challenged by the truth of the matter, not be challenged by the reality of the matter so that you can live in your la-la land and still do what you want to do even though you know if you looked at God's truth, it would cause you to stop. This is a presumptuous sin. It is venturing into territory that you know is not right, that you don't have truth to stand on for it, but you're willing to close your eyes so that you can do it. And this is David asking this. Now let's think about David. Can you think of some area of his life where he might have had a presumptuous sin? What about when he sent Uriah to the front line? He wanted Uriah's wife. He already impregnated her, and he wanted her. He wanted to hide his sin. He knew it wasn't right what he did, and instead, listen, instead of acknowledging it and getting the picture back level, he had a presumptuous sin, and he sent Uriah to the front line. And David is the one writing this. Can you imagine? Well, how does, that, how does that apply to our lives? How do we operate in this area? A presumptuous manner is when you're strong-willed, when you're not willing to listen, when you're not willing to listen to both sides of a situation. How many, you know, there's situations that I've been in in uh, church issues at, um, you know, other times, and I've been in a place where, you know, one person tells a story, but they don't tell it exactly right. You ever, ever had that happen to you? Maybe somebody tells a story about you, but they don't tell it exactly right. 
And what if they cause other people to reject you? But you have evidence of the truth. And you try to go to these people and you say, wait, listen to my side. I have proof, but they're unwilling to. That means they are in presumptuous sin. They know there's something out there, but they're not willing to look at it. They're not willing to get the truth on the matter. This happens all the time in the church world, but it happens in our own lives when there's an area that we know is not right, but we're not willing to allow God to deal with us on that matter. So many people get raised in the church. They know fornication is not wrong. And then yet, they hold their nose, and there they go. That's a presumptuous sin. That's not allowing God's judgment to hold your feet to the fire and to keep your picture straight. It's, it's causing you to turn a blind eye to what you know is wrong so that you can do what you want to do when you want to do it on your terms, not God's terms. And God calls this presumptuous sin. So knowing in the back of your mind that examining the matter would bring about an unwanted result. That's another way of saying it. You ever been in that kind of situation? Knowing in the back of your mind an examination would bring an unwanted result. Now, I, you know, I remember one time uh, my, my mom, you know, the, the vehicle that they had, it needed some repair work. How many of you know you can't ignore it? When a vehicle needs repair work, it needs repair work, or it's going to get worse. But I, I love my mom, but I tell you what, she would take that vehicle and she would just ignore that issue. Why is that car jerking? Oh, it's going to get better. Don't worry. It'll work itself out. No, it won't. It's got to get fixed. No, it's going to work itself out. Just refuse to get that examination done so that the problem can get fixed. And you know what? A lot of us spiritually have the same problem. We're presuming things will iron out and get better, but you will not get there if you refuse to apply and examine yourself against God's word. If there's those areas, I know preachers another town over that stole another church member's wife. Well, I guarantee you there's some passage of scriptures that guy can't preach. I know for a fact there are certain scriptures that he will refuse to preach. Can't. And yet, it's presumptuous. It's a crooked picture on the wall. And God's desire is that his examination, his word, his judgments get us back straight. That's his desire. And that's what David realized. He was like, you know what, Lord? Keep me from these presumptuous sins. Help me, God. I need your word in my life to keep me from error. I'm, that's how I know my left from my right. That's where great reward is. Lord, help me to allow you to do all that you need to do in me because it is better for me to go through that than to go through life in presumption. Spiritual presumption is a dangerous thing. 
Spiritual presumption leads to dangerous places. It leads to hardening of a heart. Even unintentionally. Why is this important? Because all of us from time to time face difficult situations. You may not face you may not face something like Daniel or something like Joseph to where it may put you in prison, but you you know there's those situations in life where it's going to cost you to do the right thing. And I'm challenging you, allow God to light a fire in you and do the right thing according to God anyways. It's better for that than to close your eyes and just hold on to the steering wheel tighter and let it shake and think it's going to shake itself out. Because the shaking's only going to get worse. What about Jonah? Think about Jonah. How pleased was God with Jonah when he didn't go to Nineveh? Not very pleased. Only anybody else got swallowed by a fish. I heard a preacher say one time, he was, uh, you know, it's always been a battle for the word of God, and some people don't believe the truth of the word of God. He one, one old guy was trying to get this woman to doubt. He said, I bet you believe that Bible. I bet you're one of those fuddy-duddies, those fundamentalists, you know. He said, yeah, I'm a fundamentalist. But This lady said, well, yeah, I believe it. I even believe in the covers because they keep the pages clean. And, uh, and he said, I bet you believe so much that, that uh, Jonah got swallowed by a fish. And she said, I do. And he said, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? And, and, and Jonah says it wasn't a fish. And she said, well, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I suppose he'll confirm what God's word says. And he said, well, what if you get to heaven and Jonah's not there? And he said, well, she said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> she turned it right back around on him. She said, you can ask him. She has some fire. She has some fire. Um, but, you know, Jonah, you know, he got swallowed by that fish because he rebelled, yes. But why did he rebel? Why did he rebel? He didn't want the Ninevites to get saved. He didn't want the Ninevites to get saved. He knew, listen, he knew if he preached the truth, it would, a result would happen. And he withheld the truth so that they would perish in their sin. Right? That's presumptuous sin. That's, that's turning a blind eye to God's righteous judgment, God's righteous truth. And God dealt with him. And God got him out of it. Took him three days and three nights before he prayed, but he prayed and God got him out. And we praise the Lord for that. And all those Ninevites that got saved, I know they praise the Lord for that. But it just goes to show you that God doesn't change. God's always been against this. It's just that sometimes we don't think about it in this way. But when searching the truth out, listen to this. When you're searching the truth out, if you start getting close and you go, wait a second, this might produce an undesirable effect in me. I might have to go to that person and apologize. I might have to love that person that did that to me. I might have to do this. I might have to do that. Once you start searching out the truth and you get close to that line, 
that's when you're going to be challenged. This message the Lord will bring back presumptuous sin. Don't turn a blind eye. Let the word of God have full course. Let the word of God be your standard. Let the word of God be the one that guides you. Amen? Let's look at two passages. That way we can just kind of take it home. Numbers 15. Numbers 15. Verse 28. The, what we're going to look at here is in the law, in the law, how God dealt with presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin is withholding a portion of the truth so that it acclimates to your desire. Love your enemies changes to tolerate your enemies. Right? That's changing the truth just to acclimate it to your level. Okay, verse 28, Numbers 15, 28. There's, there's a contrast here. There's a contrast between sins of ignorance and sins of presumption. The priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sins ignorantly when he sinned by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. So this is a good time in the Bible to be ignorant. Because if you mess up and it was in ignorance, the priest could have made an atonement for you then. I didn't know any better. This is a good time, right? Look at verse 29. You, you shall have one law for him that sins through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. God's making provision for all folks, Jew or Gentile. Anybody that's ignorant, that messes up, God's going to have a way that they can get back right. Okay? But look at verse 30. But, how many of you know? All right. Better buckle down. But the soul that doeth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he despised the word of the Lord and had broken his commandment, that soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. Wow. God doesn't like it when we play with the truth. God doesn't like it when we play with the truth. He doesn't like it when we withhold a portion of it so that it can suit our lives. Well, I know that verse says don't be drunk with wine, but you know, it's 2020. Yes, 2020, you better look at that again. It still says don't be drunk with wine. Your problem is going to be determining what God's blood alcohol content threshold is because it's not written. So perish or not, you know, and you can get into base and I have a whole sermon, you know, about alcohol. I'm against it. But you know what? If you, if you want to say, well, I, I, I mean, I, 
If it says don't be drunk of wine, that's all I'm going to say is don't be drunk of wine. That's what it says. But you know what? When we, and this, this goes back to my thing with, with these uh, false teachers that change what words mean. You go to Hebrew roots, they change what this means. You go to uh, Scientologists, they, uh, Christian science, change what God's word means. Word of faith, they change what God's word means. Oh yeah, Jesus is God, but he's also a sinner and he had to get saved. Uh, no, that's not Jesus. You, you can't change what words mean and still be right with God. That's what he's saying. You know, when you get into theology, you know, the word all, it means all. The word whosoever, you don't change, you don't get to change them. God wrote them. You don't get to change them. And that's how God's truth is. We don't get to change his truth. And when, when we start, uh, you see a verse like, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Well, you know what a lot of people do? They just say um, part B of that verse. Go to that verse, part B. Look at that. No, no. Look at the whole verse. Let the whole verse get you where God wants to get you. Don't be hanging crooked on the wall. And the only way you know whether you're crooked or straight is when you allow the word of God to do what he needs to do in your life. And nope, and, and, and look, it's a, it's, it is, you, you don't start out the way you end up. You, you, I mean, it's a growing thing. You grow in it, but where you're at at each step is where God wants you to be, and he'll keep you straight in the step you're at if you allow the word of God to be complete and holy in your life, to purify, clean you, be a, uh, like he says, a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. So, a powerful passage, right? How kindly does God deal with presumptuous folks in the Old Testament? How kindly? Not very kindly. But if somebody messed up, they just didn't know any better. They was ignorant. How many of y'all know what it's like to be ignorant about? I'm, I'm ignorant about drywall. Get, I'm getting better now, but I'm, I'm ignorant about it. There's some things that I'm not, but there are some things, right? But when you don't know, you don't know. And God's merciful on that. But it's when you know, and then you put duct tape over that part of the verse so that now you don't have to deal with that. And I, you know, I, we all have different issues that we battle with. And so there should, listen, there should be a desire in our lives that we just take the word of God and say, Lord, oh, help me to be like David where, you know what, God, keep me from error. And I know what keeps me from error. It's your truth. Lord, let it get all the way down in me. Let it get everything out. Let it light up everything. I want to be pure in your eyes. And you know what? God will purify you. God will set your feet on solid ground. You won't have to walk with a hidden thing behind your back. You'll walk in wholeness before God. God will get you to that place that your spirit man desires to be when you allow the word of God to really go through you and search you out. You'll see a complete and totally different deal. Now let's close. We'll look at... Um, in the New Testament, we'll look at presumptuous sin in the New Testament. So uh, for that, we're going to have to go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 
chapter 2. Now we're going to go down to uh, verse number nine. Uh, we got to, let me just start with seven because this is one of my favorite portions of scripture. I love this one. I like me some Lot. Lot's awesome. In this, in this passage, look what he says. It says, um, God delivered, verse seven, God delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. This is one of the most important things you could do, and most of us just pass it by. A lot of times when you live in an ungodly place, the ungodliness will get on you like slime or sludge. But Lot kept his soul vexed. That means he... He held on to God's righteousness even though around him was nothing but ungodly wickedness. He, he, in other words, he didn't get callous to the sin around him. He didn't get callous to abortion. He didn't get callous to sodomy, homosexuality. He didn't get callous to fornication. He didn't get callous to adultery. He didn't get callous to unforgiveness. He didn't get callous to theft. He didn't get callous to it. Some of us are, are so callous we can lie on our income taxes. Or we can lie to our doctors so we can get stuff. White lies are lies. God did not say, he did not say only certain kinds of liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. White liars and bold-faced liars, both, are in that category. It says liars, right, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Lot, I love this about him because he allowed his heart to remain in communion with God. And I, I would just challenge you to do that. Just say, Lord, help my heart to stay sensitive to you. So that in every situation I'm in, I don't get callous to ungodliness. I don't laugh at dirty jokes. I don't get back down and, you know, even though I may not be where I want to be, I don't want to live the way the world lives, right? And what a perfect example was Lot. You know that God searched out all of Sodom and Gomorrah and he only found Lot, but he found him. He only found Lot, but he found him. And if you don't think that God can't find you, he found Lot in Sodom. And he knows what you're going through. And he knows when enough is enough. And when he looked at Sodom, he said enough. I believe we're getting close to the point in this world when God's going to say enough. Christians are the number one most persecuted people on earth. This is a lot of bad stuff. Ungodliness everywhere. I think before long, we're going to have to pay higher taxes because we're heterosexual. Might. 
But you know what? The more wicked the generation gets, the closer we are till the Lord says enough. And he says, come home. Or as Brother Bissell says, he'll clap his hand three times. So, so what in verse number seven, Lot vexed himself. He kept himself vexed. I can't implore you enough. That's where you need to be in this generation. You don't have to tell, you don't, you don't have to worry. I mean, you don't have to go on CNN and get in the comment section and just keep your heart vexed and allow that to help you out because God sees. For the righteous man dwelling among them, talking about Lot, in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He didn't get used to it. It's just locker room banter. Not to Lot. He didn't get used to it. Oh, it's just a PG-13 movie? Come on. He didn't get used to it. I'm not doing it. I'm just watching it. He didn't get used to it. Just because you're not going to commit fornication don't mean you should watch it either. Amen. Watching it and not doing it, hello, don't we remember what the Lord says? Look on someone in lust, commit adultery in your heart. So he says in verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And the church said, Amen. Amen. The Lord knows how to get, deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. Mm-hmm. So God's not a Unitarian. And look at verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they self-willed they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the lord what is it the presumptuous person is a person who is self-willed they do what they want to do they turn a blind eye to passages in the scripture that contradict their actions they do what they're going to do no matter what anybody else says because that's what they want to do they're unwilling to allow God to check them only on the areas that they're willing to be corrected will they allow that correction to come in but in the areas of their life they're unwilling to be corrected in they are self-willed and they turn a blind eye to those portions of scripture this is the sin of presumption and peter says these people these presumptuous folks are self-willed instead of being propelled by the spirit by the light of God's word, they're propelled by their own selfish desires. Don't tell me to forgive the Hatfields. We're the McCoys. Preach all you want. Don't preach on forgiveness. Right? 
Don't ask me to do what I don't want to do. I don't care if that's what God's word says. Don't ask me to do what I don't want to do. That's presumptuous sin. We should want, crave, and hunger for the word of God to be that lamp and that light in the dark places of our lives to bring us to that place of accountability and truth so that we can grow not just in one area, but in all areas, that we may be a healthy believer abiding in the vine, right? That God can have free course in our life to build us up, listen to this, to build us up into the man or woman of God that he desires, You ever see those people that lift weights, right? You, I know you do. But, you know, they have different days. Like this is arm day, chest day, leg day, back day. You know what's funny is whenever you see those people that all they do is arm day. And then they have chicken legs. They skipped, they skipped something, right? Well, yeah, don't skip leg day. That's what we do, listen, that's what we do spiritually when we're unwilling to allow the whole counsel of God's word to strengthen us, to grow us. We're walking around spiritually like we've been skipping leg day. And that's what God calls presumption. And so a, a person who really desires God and wants to grow in God, you say, Lord, I don't like doing leg day. I can't stand it. But Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. That's when you're going to begin to start maturing as a believer, getting to that place where God wants you to be. And that's whenever God can use you the way he wants to use you. You're a willing vessel then, Right not blindly presumptuous and self-willed, but a vessel that the master can use. How many of you want to be a vessel that God can use? And, and, and what you got to do is just be like David. Just be like, Lord, keep me from error. Keep me from hidden error. Let my love for your judgment, your truth, keep me from error. And Lord, please keep me from presumptuous sin. Please keep me from presumptuous sin. Then you'll see the beauty of, of God's light. Oh, yeah, we, we can make fun of people, you know, because they're always crying and stuff like that. But you know what? When you walk in God's light, it irritates you when you see the smallest speck. One of the most beautiful things to see as you see people progress in their walk with God the older and the more mature they get, the closer they are to Christ, the more the little specks irritate them. Whereas when they first started out, they had big old specks. They didn't care about that. But as we grow, grow closer to the Lord, it's a, it's a process of growth. And your, 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 your race isn't over. You're not, you haven't arrived. You got to forget what's behind and press forward to what's before you. Like Paul said in Philippians 3. So, but as you grow closer to the Lord, the brighter that light, the more you see it, the more it affects. And then you see, wait, I never saw that speck. Whoa, I never saw that before. Whoa, there, you might see things in you that you didn't think was there. That 
And, but it's because God's light shined on something. Amen. And God's ready to deal with it with you. God's ready to deal with it with you. And that's a beautiful thing. That means you're maturing in the Lord. That means you're not skipping leg day. But you're being complete. You're growing into that complete man. And that's the desire for all of God's ministry. You go back and read Ephesians 4. That's the reason God gives gifts to you. Apostles and teachers, evangelists. That's why God gives you those people in your life. So that you can grow into a mature and complete person. And that's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, we're going to close right here. And, and um, you know, I, I just feel like I want to pray for you if you want to uh, be prayed for on, uh, on that. But does anybody have any questions or comments before we pray?